Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Joel Manuel to the podcast to talk about the 4th of July weekend and the unique sensory experiences that children with autism might face or more likely will face and how to handle them so that the whole family can have a fun weekend and all the celebrations are enjoyed by everybody. Joel is an occupational therapist based out of Layton, Utah. Joel operates his own home-based occupational therapy practice called Children's Ability Services. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Well, I, I guess I'm just going to paint the picture right now because I'll tell you is that this weekend is ex exciting for me. Uh, I love 4th of July. You have parades, you got fireworks, you got barbecues, you got uh, family stopping by. Probably sometimes you got neighbors that you've never seen for months at a time coming by your house. This to me sounds like a lot of fun, but can you just give me a description from maybe just a, a generalized autism viewpoint what are some of the sensory issues that might be occurring in this event that I look at as being so much fun? Sure. Well, as you know, so many children on the autism spectrum um, experience uh, sensory processing difficulty. And associated with that, we see uh, a large number of them with increased sensitivity to sensory experiences. That can include uh, difficulty with uh, sudden and loud sounds or unexpected uh, flashing lights like fireworks. It could be crowds. Uh, you know, if their families are attending a, a parade and there are, there are often sirens or uh, emergency vehicles uh, going through the parade, it's loud and it's, it's exciting. Um, it could simply be the heat of being outdoors more uh, during the midst of the summer when kids are experiencing hot weather. And so there's a lot of potential difficulty, a lot of potential experiences that um, could could make the 4th of July holiday particularly difficult for a child on the autism spectrum. Um, and, and, you know, maybe today we can talk a little bit about what to do, how to avoid those, how to, how to prepare for it and, and cope with it effectively. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, even when I think about my daughters going out and experiencing the 4th of July, I've got one daughter who's going to be covering her ears every time she hears the noise come up in the background. Um, I have another that could sit out there for hours on end and just look at the lights and just be super excited about every moment of it. So obviously every child is going to experience it so differently. And I'd hate not to give the opportunity for my children to, to engage in some of those fun activities. And so I, I guess I'd love to hear, I mean, Say you have a child that is uh, startled by anything that's unpredictable. How can, as a parent, like, what do I do to help prepare them for this holiday, which probably has just as much unpredictability as you could imagine? Like, how do I prep them for that? Well, so first of all, you bring up a really valid point in your, in your thought about your own daughters. There are many children on the autism spectrum that are strong sensory seekers. And this might be a very thrilling experience for them where they get to hear the loud noises, the, the percussion of the, the, the 
fireworks when you're in close proximity to it. You know, I love that feeling, that kind of resonating in my chest of those explosions. I, it's, it's exciting and interesting for me. It's interesting to think that there are some children who might really thrive off these experiences and others who really struggle with it. And knowing that there's two sides of the sensory experience, there's those who are understimulated and turn out being sensory seekers, and there are those who are overstimulated and, and easily, uh, they're sensory avoiders or easily uh, disrupted by sensory experiences. Um, helps to kind of understand that there's things we can do to help both sides of those and make it make all activities approachable. When, when occupational therapists talk about sensory uh, processing, when I'm meeting with families and explaining to, it to them for the first time, everybody's heard of your traditional five senses, hearing, vision, taste, smell, and touch. But often they haven't necessarily thought about or engaged with their other internal senses, such as proprioception, which is body awareness, and it's triggered through deep pressure stimulation into muscles and joints and vestibular input, which is uh, really your head's position relative to gravity. It's stimulated through head movement or uh, you know, could be spinning or rocking or being upside down. Um, those are crucial pieces because we use those internal senses to give better regulation to the child globally. And I think what's commonly misunderstood is that a lot of people think, okay, if my child is overstimulated by sound, then I need to focus on giving them some sort of auditory stimulation that meets that need. When it doesn't necessarily have to be specific to the sense that is being overstimulated. Mm -hmm. it's, it can be um, that you give that deep pressure or that proprioceptive stimulation as a calming or regulatory input to prepare them for dealing with auditory stimulation that's overstimulating. It's, it's about other brain processes and not about the specific sense usually per se. Yeah, it sound, I mean, it sounds like a lot of these techniques are things that we might be applying for ourselves in regular everyday life, just in small doses. But for a child, maybe that needs more of that input. It has to be more planned and more structured. Is that, is that what you'd be kind of talking with families about is, how do you do that deep pressure beforehand? Or what does it even look like? Right, that's a great question. And I, I think you're exactly right. Like we have our own mechanisms of coping with that that just nobody would notice, nobody would recognize. So you take that pattern and make it much more intense with it we work with. And you have to be more purposeful, maybe plan more with stimulation. So a lot of folks have heard of or used maybe like a, therapeutic brushing program with brushing and joint compressions as a way to give deep pressure. Some kids really respond to weight. So, yeah. uh, you know, weighted backpack, vest, uh, even a weighted blanket, a lap blanket. Some kids just need the physical contact. So just knowing that when you go, um, they're going to need to sit on a parent's lap and be squeezed um, to allow that calming input to help them through the moment. Um, and, and, uh, you know, just we're talking just purely from a sensory standpoint, um, giving them uh, whatever they recognize as calming. Some kids really love a warm bath. Well, take the time to do a warm bath. Make sure that they're comfortable in their clothes. Make sure that they've had um, a chance. You know, if a child really loves to jump on the trampoline, let's get them some jumping on trampoline time. That helps them regulate prior to uh, going to the parade, prior to going to fireworks. 
A lot of this, I mean, it, it doesn't, it sounds like meeting with a professional occupational therapist or uh, being able to coordinate that care beforehand is crucial because you never know what your child really is going to be, what's going to be soothing or what's going to cause the over under stimulation. And I think that having that plan built out beforehand is is definitely crucial. I would never think that, hey, you know, before I go do fireworks, which of course to my head is thinking, okay, that's stimulation, stimulation. Before I go do that, I want them jumping on a trampoline and getting their energy up. But like you said, that might be the answer for certain children. And it might be the way that you can get them in balance. Uh, so Joel, how can um, how can a parent maybe do some of this uh, observation or probing on their own to try and figure out what's going to work for their own child. I mean, if they do want to go see the fireworks, is there some things that they can do beforehand to try things out to see how their child's responding? Or can they try and figure out, are there ways to soothe my child so that they can enjoy all the activities? Is uh, is it a, a try and kind of test? Is it kind of see what works sort of methodology that a parent could use at times for some of the sensory issues? I think that can certainly be uh, an approachable method of a parent just being able to do some trial and error. That, that is probably where the professional advice of someone who knows how to set up a sensory diet program for a child and uh, which types of activities are routinely calming in which activities tend to be routinely alerting. You would give the calming act type of activities to a child who is overstimulated and likely to uh, withdraw from uh, stimulation. And you'd give alerting act, uh, stimulation to a child who is a seeker and, and is, is prone to seek it out on their own. Um, mm -hmm. The idea is uh, preparatory stimulation, one way or the other, meets the need adequately so that when they get into the experience, they, they're not going to, they're less inclined if they're a seeker to go seeking for it because that needs already been partially met. So that might allow them to be, to be more sedentary or engaged with their family as they're at a parade or at the fireworks or something or at a family gathering. Yep. And I do think that sensory preparation is the key there are lots of resources online if one were to look up sensory diet activities or sensory programs. Uh, there's a lot of resources, but, but there is great value in uh, having a, if, if, if you uh, have had an occupational therapy evaluation that's kind of given you some direction for what pattern that's recognized, you know, child's testing as, what, how they're presenting in their sensory processing delays, um, that's going to be a really foundational strength for you to be able to understand your child's needs and plan ahead. Absolutely. I think information is obviously power in this situation is in order to be proactive and not just be responding to my child already overstimulated is that having that plan becomes that much more important. Do you ever integrate, um, I mean, for a lot of children with autism is that they're receiving behavioral therapy. Do you integrate your services so that the family can get more practice on utilizing occupational therapy within other treatments or within schools or within, so that it becomes part of their daily life? Absolutely. And a, an effective sensory diet program, uh, which, which really simply is just the variety of sensory activities 
we, that we are providing for that child or, op, or the opportunities we're giving the child to seek out on their own um, throughout the course of a day. That's what a sensory diet is. And, and to have an effective sensory diet, it has to be able to fit in the daily flow of that child's life. If, if the family or, or other providers that are working with that child feel like they have to stop what they're doing to, to integrate sensory input into that child's life, that's not going to last very long. Um, it has to be simple. It has to be effective and really kind of naturally occurring. So, yeah, I mean, I, one of the joys that I've, I've worked throughout my life in clinics and, and a variety of settings. Um, I'm really enjoying working in, in home with families right now because when a family sees the sensory intervention done in their home, their ability to generalize that and use that on an ongoing basis is so much more effective. Um, and a lot of families that I'm working with, their child's also receiving ABA, and we've been able to have some overlap with uh, their, their behavior therapists who are integrating some of the sensory techniques into, uh, into their sessions as well, maybe as a antecedent strategy or a way of preparing that child for working on a particular task. So it's been really fun for me to see those techniques, those sensory strategies implemented uh, by families, by other providers, and that's where we have the greatest effect. One hour with, with an occupational therapist once a week is not going to provide enough impact. It's got to be the daily integration of these strategies into, into routines that's going to have significant. I definitely appreciate what, what you had said based off of the fact that I think with all treatment with children, it's got to be purposeful. It's got to be valued by the family and the child. And it's yeah. got to be generalizable to their everyday life or else you're missing it. Like you're yeah. missing the treatment. And so the approach that you have at uh, Children's Ability Services, I think is, is hitting on those things in the right way where you're creating an opportunity for the family to really be empowered and for that child to eventually hopefully manage their own therapeutic yeah. systems. And it's, it's nice to see that. Um, I, I have a, you had brought up, and I actually didn't even think about this, but now we're going through a heat wave in a lot of the country right now. Uh, yeah. And this is extremely hot weather. And I know that with sensory difficulties, that the heat, the, even just the sweat that you might be feeling, it causes discomfort. And for a lot of our children is that they're not looking to take care of themselves on a regular basis in the same way that maybe an adult would be hydrating regularly, which oftentimes adults don't even do. Um, it's, it's kind of looking at how do we make sure that with the heat, what should we be looking at? What should we be doing? Is there a schedule to, that parents should be checking on their children while we're out celebrating in 100 degree weather all day long for the 4th of July? I, it's so, I would guess it's so individualized that it's hard to give any uh, specific gen generalized answers about that. But that's what I'd say is being aware that uh, a child with sensory processing difficulties is more inclined to struggling with uh, all sensory experiences and getting hot, getting sweaty, getting sunburned. These are all significant sensory experiences, um, which are going to have great or likely to have greater impact on a child with sensory processing difficulty than on a typical. Um, so 
just being just making sure that their awareness is maybe increased that a parent's awareness is more is more uh, dialed in for their child um, and and encouraging them like you said to hydrate to drink more to make sure they have adequate sunblock or uh, could be just making sure they're in shade uh, when it's possible uh, those I think those are going to pay dividends in keeping uh, more experiences more opportunities accessible for their child. And I think that we both share this opinion where we want every single one of our of the children we work with or our family members or whoever to really be able to experience all that life has to offer. And with this 4th of July, it's, you know, it's it's the chance to be around people, around family, around activities, potentially around water. I mean, yeah. what is if you were to kind of take a step back and to encourage families to be out there, to experience this with their child, not to feel restricted. What is your words of encouragement or advice for these families to help them know that, you know, you can do it. it it's just, it might just take some advanced planning. How would, you, how would you kind of sum that up as far as just general advice for a family thinking through this right now? You know, I, I guess my thought on, on that, Jeff, is I think a lot of families are hesitant this extra work. It, it requires a greater commitment uh, from parents to get out and get engaged often when, when they have a child with special needs. But I, I think that when, when I work with kids and I see them experiencing something, maybe for the first time, nothing lights me up more than seeing that child like have an aha moment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when parents get to be part of that, and see those moments, boy, it makes all the, all the grind and the work and the therapies, it's the payoff. So these are opportunities for families to really be out and just see their child. It, it, it may end poorly this time, but given the experience and the, and the exposure, it's more likely to end positively the next time because now the family has a better strategy. And I just think it's worth the risk accept the challenge and get out and, and be part of activities. And uh, it's also just really healthy for that child to have those social experiences. Mm -hmm. Side note on that is I, I see so many kids who are very, very programmed. They have extensive hours of therapy, very structured environments, and that's healthy for them. And that's, that's therapeutic. But uh, the payoff of that is like you said, we do that so that we can have access to the greater world so that the child has the skills to be able to get out and do it. So it has to be applied. So, so I just, you know, I, as much as possible, I encourage families to take the risk pay off when it's experienced positively is fantastic. Absolutely. And, and I think that goes without said for almost any relationship that you have, whether it's the parent child relationship, child to child, it's yeah. shared experiences yeah. is what fulfills our lives. And if you're restricting yourselves to not having or to not taking the risk, like you said, yeah. to have those shared experiences, life becomes dull. And it's, you know, take the skills we're learning and put them into context. And you might have to minimize, you might have to accommodate but it, it sounds like with almost every child is that there's a way to do it. And it's yeah. just talk with your professionals if you need to, or just use your parent intuition from what you've learned in life yeah. and take that, take that leap. 
Well, uh, Joel, before we step away, I, I do want to get information because I, I know professionally that the service that you provide for children is an amazing service. And I want to make sure that, that people know how to, A, get a hold of you, um, if, if that's a possibility, to be able to utilize your, your service. And then B, also, what kind of resources, if they're not in the Utah area and are looking for uh, resources to better understand occupational therapy, where could they look? So my company, we provide individualized occupational therapy in clients' homes. People are welcome to call our business. It's Children's Ability Services. The phone number is 801-390-4947. And our email is childrensabilityservices at gmail.com. We're just in Utah right now, but there are occupational therapy clinics, pediatric-focused occupational therapy clinics in most metropolitan areas. Uh, and, and if you're looking for an occupational therapist, you could go through your insurance panel and, and you know find someone who does pediatrics and has some uh, experience with autism or sensory processing. Uh, I think it can be a really valuable team member. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise today. And um, I do recommend that people do reach out. I, I think that having that holistic approach and really being child and family centered is so important in the therapy world. And just even based off your response there, I can, I can hear it reverberating in the way that you go about therapy. So thank you again for joining. And uh, we hope to have you back on again, because I'm sure there's so much more we can learn from the OT world. Well, it's my pleasure. And, and I really appreciate the opportunity. I, this is my passion. This is what I love to talk about and do. And, and uh, if I can be of service to families um, and kids, that's, that's where I want to be. So thanks. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.